heart of Wellington, Kansas, Powder and String Outfitters is your down-home, one-stop shop for all things shooting sports and outdoors. Welcome to the Powder and String Podcast. Welcome everybody back to the Powder and String Outfitters podcast. I greatly appreciate all of you guys tuning back in today. I have Jack Cannon with Davidson's, and uh, Davidson's is one of our distributors. And Jack, you're a what's your title with Davidson's? National Accounts Manager is what I am, and then I also oversee the what we call CRMs, which are Customer um, Relationship Managers. Mm-hmm. So Jack is. Uh, from from my terminology, I call him. He's an outside sales rep, so he's uh, he's one of the guys that comes to the shop and you know checks in on us, sees what we need, um, you know, helps us with point of sale stuff. Um, I guess maybe not point of sale, but um, retail stuff for sales. Point of sales more directed to the actual cash register, but yeah, kind of overall um, jack of all trades, if you want to call it that. Um, no pun help you intended. Out. Yeah, yeah, no pun intended. Um, industry information, um, covering all the lines. And then uh, when you say outside rep, we still work directly for Davidson's. Correct. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So I guess when I use the term outside, I'm just saying, as opposed to I've got a direct sales rep, Sam, mm-hmm. and he's the one that I work with, you know, almost on a daily basis. But then he's in the, he's, you know, he's, he's working at his location. And then you actually come out to the shop. And that's something that's kind of special about Davidson's. Mm-hmm. We are the only distributor that I know of that actually has outside folks, meaning traveling folks that go see, shake hands with our dealers. We want to get back to that old school customer service where, um, you know, as back in the fishing tackle days, the guys would come in and see you, write orders up, um, find out what's going on. We've kind of developed that over the years and we're still evolving it into more and more things as well where, when we go out and see our dealers in different territories and we have seven guys total when we're fully staffed that cover the entire U.S. And so when they go out and see their territory, they can kind of find out the market trends. They can kind of find out how things are happening, what's going on from the customer standpoint, what's going on from the dealer standpoint. And it's very, very valuable information that we can get back to Davidson's, allow us to kind of um, look to the future and kind of make decisions on that from, you know, the higher ups and just kind of all the different things, aspects and different departments that Davidson's has going on as well. Yeah. And I can tell you from our standpoint, it's something that we really appreciate and we, we definitely take advantage of. Um, Davidson's definitely does set themselves apart with that. Um, I've had a relationship with Davidson's. um, You guys, I think one of the, the longest um, rep that I had um, before we were, I was, before we opened the, the brick and mortar store, we were home based. And so we were with you. And then once we opened the shop, um, you know, we've, we've got a great relationship with, with you guys and it's been extremely um, beneficial to us. And um, the first time you came out and we met, it was, um, well, heck, you ended up staying for several hours, ended up having dinner and, um, you know, we just really kind of hit it off. And, and, and that sets Davidson's apart. Another thing that sets Davidson's apart is your guys' lifetime warranty. Um, I can tell you, um, you know, most of the firearms that are out there are, you know, definitely well-made, but there's always stuff that, you know, slips through the cracks with quality control. And man, it is the first thing when a customer brings back in a gun to us. And, and that's one of the things that 
you know, in this day and age of everything's internet and everything's, you know, I can find it on here for this much. And, you know, can you beat that price? And, but it's always funny because we have customers then that bought their gun somewhere else because they could save 15 or 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they bring it in to have it worked on or have it serviced or whatever. And then they want us to do it, which we do that. Um, but whenever they, we have a customer brings in a gun and it's from Davidson's, we're like, Whew, that's awesome because we don't have to worry about it. It's not, that's, that's, it's a huge deal. And I, we, we'd love that. I think a lot of folks misunderstand our lifetime replacement guarantee. Um, they're like, yeah, manufacturers have a warranty and they're hundred percent correct. Mm-hmm. Um, the big guys out there and pretty much everybody has great, great warranties. The Davidson's warranty is with Davidson's. Mm-hmm. So, um, powder and strings, you guys have a problem. Customer, one of your customers has a problem. They bring it into you. You contact your account executive and we ship you out a brand new gun, brand new gun. Yep. And we've had that happen. I mean, a handful of times since we've been here. Um, one of them recently was a, a special edition Glock. And all it was was just the lanyard was broken. And I almost, I mean, I felt sick. Like, it's just the lanyard broke. Just send me the part. But I mean, it was no questions asked. Here you go. Send it back. I can only imagine from like your standpoint, you have a customer that comes in and it's their carry concealed gun. Lanyard's broken on it. The gun still works, but they want to get a new one or there's a problem with it. They don't want to give that gun up and wait maybe a month or two months for send it back into manufacture. Some of them are four or six months. Correct. Correct. And so now you got that Davidson's warranty. Like I said, you just call your account executive. We have one in stock. We ship it to you. Um, that customer still gets to keep their gun until that new one comes in. Right. And then when you contact them and go, Hey, we, we got your gun for you. Mm-hmm. And you're giving them a brand new gun for one that they've had holster wear on it or whatever mm-hmm. they've got. And you're like, here's this brand new gun. Usually I've been in the stores when that's happened before. And it's very, very interesting because. Usually that customer has that kind of grin on their face, like, God, I'm getting one over on this guy, mm-hmm. you know, and they have to fill out a new 4473 because it's got that serial yeah. number, but they usually do it. And then they kind of look around a little bit like, like is this real waiting for yeah. the camera to come out? <laughs> no, you've been selected for, yeah, yeah, I know. Exactly right. Um, and then they become a customer of yours for, you know, for life. And that's what it's intended for. Yeah. And it's great. Um, and you kind of hit on it, you know, not always is that firearm in stock. So mm-hmm. You know, they keep the gun and then once it comes in stock um, and and I'm I may I guess uh, I'm kind of of the understanding and maybe I'm off a little bit. But that um, exchange or whatever, it takes precedence over other back orders or whatever. It kind of goes to the to the top, if you will. It is. Uh, and that's exactly the way it works. We want to make sure that if we've already sold a gun, we need to service that customer already mm-hmm. instead of trying to sell that gun to another customer. During COVID, it was a little bit tight because. You know, production, uh, yeah. sales, everybody knows how that was. It was just a absolutely crazy, crazy time period. Well, and even coming out of COVID right now, what we're seeing is, is even with, I mean, I'm not going to say any name with regards to manufacturers, but some very strong, solid manufacturers, we've had stuff come back that you're like, man, quality control really missed that one. I think it's getting into, and it's not just the gun industry. I get oh, it's to travel. everywhere. Yeah. I was going to say, I get to travel all over the U.S. and, not even, you know, not just the gun industry. It's the everything you go to, the airline industry, um, yep. hotels, whatever it is. It, it's customer service is kind of lost. Um, it, it's vantage point or how everybody wants to get customer service, and that's one of the things that Davidson's is very, very big on. Is 
when you call into us, it's not an automation, press one for English or press this for your um, account executives extension. We have a live person that speaks English that answers the phone and you're getting directed to your account executive or that person that answers the phone can automatically help you no matter what. We want to make it as easy as possible for our dealers slash customers. Mm-hmm. And you guys have a lot of business going on and we want you to get back to whatever you have happening. And the best way to do that is provide that customer service and that hands-on. Yeah. And it's it's very much um, appreciated from our side. I can tell you that for sure. And one thing, too, for our listeners out there, this is a piece of advice that I can tell you with regards to um, there's certain manufacturers that have a quote-unquote lifetime warranty. You send your gun into them, and if you don't read the fine print, you may not get your gun back. Now, that's not always a bad thing because, like you're saying, it's a new model. I mean, excuse me, it's the same model. Everything's the same, looks mm-hmm. the same, feels the same. Everything's right. You just get a brand new gun. That's good. But we recently had a gentleman that came in, and he had a brand new um, revolver, and it was a um, it was this particular manufacturer's top-of-the-line um, 22 competition revolver pistol. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had sent in another model, but it was a discontinued model. And that particular model was extremely sought after. And so it had a value to it and he sent it in and that's what they sent him back because they no longer make that model. And then when he contacted him, he's like, well, Hey, I don't, I don't want this gun. I want my gun back. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we destroyed your gun. <laughs> and he was like, what? Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. So then I, you know, made some phone calls and that is that company's, it's a well-known company. I'm not going to say it online, I mean, on on air here, but it's a well-known company. And I was just like, whoa. So I would tell customers to be careful when they're sending in guns for warranty, you know, especially ones that are out of, you know, models that are no longer being made that have that lifetime warranty, because that was, I couldn't even believe it. But that's like anything else. Make sure you read all the fine print on Mm -hmm. what you got going on Usually, if you've got a gun that's got sentimental value, too, it was handed down, you definitely want to look at something like that because you're never going to get your grandfather's gun back right. if it was already, you know, taken off of there. They yeah. kept it or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this wasn't this didn't have any sentimental, mm-hmm. but it was I mean, the value of it was probably three times what what he got back. But but the gun, they didn't make that model. They didn't you know, this was the closest thing that they could replace it with. And they I mean, I guess theoretically they did up him a model. So, <clears throat> excuse me, they gave him a, you know, a better gun than what he had, you know, by the, by the letter, if you will. But this was a, one of them that, you know, there's a, there's a following after and want, and, and a, that want that gun. It's kind of a collector gun. So, and you're going to see a lot of manufacturers, um, over the years, they'll discontinue models, just like you're talking about, and they'll come up with maybe a better gun or, a better trigger, or better features on it, or whatever that is with that gun. Um, but if you've got one of those older ones, mm-hmm. once they pull that thing off the shelf, they're not making it again usually. Right. Yeah. And that that was this this particular situation. So, you know, there's again, there's a lot to be said about that that lifetime warranty and and the other manu- in the manufacturer side of the warranties as well. And uh, so one of the things that you had kind of touched on with regards to Davidson's and your guys's, um, you know, what you do and everything there, you've got some some insight to, you know, you're out at all these different shops. I know just from talking to you as much as we talk, you're on the road, what, as much as you're home or more? (laughs) Um, Kind of an unusual situation. I put myself into it a lot of times. I just love what I do. 
So I am on the road probably a lot more, obviously, than I'm at home. Uh, and I spend a lot of weekends out, too. So that's what the job is. I love it. Uh, can't imagine doing anything else. And Davidson's allows me to do it. And the best part of the job is is going out and seeing our dealers and communicating with them and just building that relationship. It's kind of, uh, you know, we can look at every business is going to have a spreadsheet of what your accounts are doing. They're doing this much business. It's one thing to look at that. But until you actually put boots on the ground mm-hmm. and you go out there and you see it, uh, your account, when I first came, looked at all the numbers on it. You always want to find out what's going on with that account before you walk in there. And I live in Kansas. Um, Unfortunately, he's a Chicken Hawk fan. Yeah, that's that's a great thing. That's his major national, downfall. Past national champions, but we won't get into that right now. Mm-hmm. But um, hey, hey, Dylan, who did? <laughs> oh, that's right. The Arkansas beat him. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, I got uh, sidetracked. I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say you got sidetracked on that one. If you couldn't tell, Dylan's a is an Arkansas fan. Well, it happens every so often. We'll try and convert him. Um, but you know, when I pulled up out front and, and Wellington is a smaller town, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is. So you know, you pull up, you walk in and, um, I think I came and saw you during COVID the first time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It, it's yeah. I believe that was, well, it would have been, uh, well, we opened in early 21. So mm-hmm. we kind of had a soft opening, you know, I was only going to do this three days a week, part-time and, uh, <laughs> Here we are talking on a podcast, but but I walked in and and nobody during that time period is supposed to have any guns, any ammo, anything mm-hmm. like that. And I walk in and I go, wait a minute, there's a problem here. This guy's got stuff that you know there's ammo all over everywhere, and there's cases of it. There's not just boxes. Yeah. And then there were shelves full of long guns, handguns, and I'm thinking all the places I travel. This guy's got more stuff than most people have, and most of them combined. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, something's not going on right here. So you figured it out very, very well. But that's where being on the ground, the boots on the ground, get to see what's going on. We can go back and we can convey that stuff back to Davidson's, the account executive, um, find out kind of what your top brands are, how we can help you more, and kind of provide information to you on how Davidson's can help you out as well. We have all kinds of different programs that, you are a part of our yeah. master dealer programs and things like that, that we can get into a little bit later. But the main thing is, is being out there, seeing our dealers face to face, getting conversations with them and being able to find out kind of what the business is that you guys are into that, that you're maybe trying to find a niche or trying to get overall. But um, like I said, the first time I walked into your store, Absolutely amazing. Never been disappointed since then either. We have that response often. We have people and we're just getting ready to go online for the first time. And when we, and I didn't know any of this, like I didn't, you know, my first year at SHOT Show was 2021 <laughs> and I, you know, just kind of put together some numbers of what, you know, we'd been doing. And, you know, when we went around and started talking to people, they're like, you're in a town of how big and you're not online and you're doing what? And we have people, we have customers that, I mean, it's very common that we have customers that will come from two plus hours away. I mean, I would say almost on a daily basis. And I, th- a lot of that came from what you're talking about when we first opened. Um, we started, I, I've got an, I don't know, I could talk to anybody. And so I was able to get stuff and figured out how to get stuff and also did several unconventional ways of acquiring ammunition and firearms, um, 
and you know, there's not everything was on above the table, but it was just, mm-hmm. you know, ways to get stuff. I mean, you couldn't get anything. I mean, it was, I mean, and if you got a box of ammo, you were just stoked. I mean, like, to absolutely. Give, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to have a case of, I, mean, I remember being open and I was just tickled. I, I, I remember not being able to get a case of nine millimeter. You, Correct. You, they were distributors were, were breaking it down to like a two box or I can send you two or three boxes. And then you had to get your minimums to get your shipping or else then your margins were off. And from that get go, I didn't want to take advantage of the, the consumer and be like, well, right now I can get, you know, $40 a box of ammo. Um, we did find that we had some, um, I'm not going to call them customers because they're no longer customers, but individuals that were buying from us and then going out on the street and, you know, making more money than what we were. But, and you're going to see that happen uh, during times like that. And I've had business owners tell me, you know, how do we stop that? And I go, you don't worry about it. Yeah. I'd, you don't worry about it. It, it. Once I had a couple of them that once it was brought to my attention, I was like, man, that's not, that's not right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but for the most part, we didn't, I mean, the vast majority, we didn't have that issue, but, um, yeah, I mean, we, we've, <clears throat> for the most part, we've not ran out of nine millimeter, five, five, six, um, 45 since we opened. I mean, we might have had a couple of, couple of days in there where we didn't, but I mean, there was times in there where you could go to, I mean, anywhere and even the big box stores. Yeah. They yeah, didn't they have, have anything, but you had shot shell. I mean, you had all yeah. kinds of stuff too. That we still was, do. And we have people come in and ask, yep. where'd you, you know, like 410 ammo we've got, I mean, I've got a couple cases of 410 <laughs> ammo. I've got more than that. I've got four or five cases, but I just, I hate to say what I have because I, I, that's one thing I do keep it on wraps with regards to my distributors. Cause I don't want the distributors to know, Oh, he's already got that. So he doesn't need it. So, you know, and, and I know they're in, I've been in their shoes and sales and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, they're, they're trying to spread it around and it's just, it's, it's really, I mean, I don't know the best way I look at it. It's a game. Yep. And I learned how to play the game and, and if you find out the rules of the game, when I go visit dealers, sometimes I go, Hey, here, here's the, and I'll use the word game. And they're like, it's a game. And I go, we can call it what you want to, but it's a, it's game. a game. It's a game. Uh, and, and the reason I say game is because a game has rules. Yeah. And so here's kind of the guideline or rules mm-hmm. that go with how you can do this or how you can do this or how you can gain maybe more product and things like that. Right. And I'm amazed you brought up that, um, you know, you haven't expanded outside. You have a brick and mortar store. Mm-hmm. So everybody's pretty much, all your customers are pretty much coming in yeah, to the store. 99% of them. And that's how you've built it up. I, I don't know what's going to happen when you decide to go e-commerce yeah. and open it up that way because it's going to get huge then. I'm a little nervous um, only because you don't know what you don't know. And I've learned that in this industry. You know, I've always, I was always a gun guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once you get into the gun world like this and, you know, then when we expanded archery, I'm more of an archery guy. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm both. Um, I think, I think the best way I can describe that is, is I'm more of an archery guy because I think it's easier. It's a, it's a much smaller world with regards to archery. You've got traditional, you've got compound crossbow, um, but it's not as, and there's only a few manufacturers compared to the, the gun world where, I mean, there's hundreds, if not thousands of manufacturers. I mean, we're probably, you know, especially if you get into parts and, and accessories for everything. And so, man, I didn't have any idea. I mean, I knew a lot, but there's so much stuff that, and there's no way you're ever going to know it all, even being in it every day. And so that you don't know what you don't know 
was one of the things that looking back now, and so now here we go with this, with the internet. And while things have gotten easier to get and maybe the buying craze is down, you know, considerably, but if you look back at numbers from, I've looked at, at numbers from 2006 and 2000, you know, and 2010, and I'm like, man, the numbers that we're doing now are still considerably higher than those. Absolutely. And, you know, if this internet thing takes off, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to have, I don't want my customers that walk in to be affected negatively by all of a sudden now we have the internet sells and it's, you know, the store's empty. So I guess it's a good problem to have, I guess, but. I think you're probably a pretty quick study because yeah. um, when you got into the gun industry, I don't think you really knew the gun industry and maybe I, I don't yeah, know. No, sure. I mean, I didn't know the gun industry. I knew, like I guess I knew guns. You knew guns. Yeah. 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 You knew and guns. I, I but knowing guns, guns, knowing guns and being in the business. Are, are two different things, two different yeah. things. I mean, you could pick up a gun and go, okay, that's a, this, this, and this. Yeah. Um, how do you get them during COVID? And man, like I said, there's a lot of people that were in business a long, long time when COVID was going on and they didn't have half of the things or even hardly anything that you had. And I walk into a brand new store for the most part, because when I walked in, I think you were in business eight months, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. Not yeah. much. Um, and, and I'm like, this is not supposed to be. Well, and we had a bunch of, we'd, we'd had, we actually had dealers coming uh -huh. from Wichita down to buy from us. And there was some of them, not, I'm not going to, not, not dealers from Wichita that, that acted this way, but we did have a dealer that came into the shop at one time. He wasn't from Wichita, but he's, I mean, just, he was sideways at how much stuff we had. Mm -hmm. The first thing he said was, well, you're brand new and you don't have any customers. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't know. We, <laughs> We did, you know, pretty good amount of sales and this and that. And, and, you know, we talked a little bit more and we were doing more than what his shop was doing. And you were doing reorders. The big thing is, is ordering once is one thing, but you do reorders because you're selling things and you have to replace it. So with Davidson's, I know for sure you were doing reorders and mm -hmm. reorders and reorders. Um, and during that time period, you could sell anything. I mean, you could sell. Yeah, anything. you could sell. Well, I mean, almost, I actually just had a gun that came back. Um, that we, it, it just sat in the shop and it, it's not a very nice gun, not a very well-made gun. Okay. Um, it's a budget gun. Mm -hmm. And we were having issues. We sent it to the district or to the manufacturer to get it fixed. And it came back basically exactly in the worst shape probably than it was. Oh. And so I contacted the manufacturer and was like, just send it back and take it. But that, that was one of the guns that we bought like originally. And I remember telling, um, Sam when I was getting set up, cause Sam was the one that I'd been with the longest and I could bounce stuff off of. And, mm -hmm. and he really shot me straight. And I really appreciated that because he's been in the industry for a long time. And, you know, not being in the industry, I was like, what can I expect? And that's, you know, that was one of the things too is the trans transition from everything would sell and it didn't matter what you got. You just said, yeah, I'll take it. Mm -hmm. And then I was always like, well, what's it like? whenever you can get stuff. So right now you can kind of get stuff, Correct. you know, I mean, there's still, you know, your, your, your Glock 43 X for the most part within a couple of weeks through some distribution channel, you can get one. Correct. Um, or they're red or they're available, you know, SIG 365 or, a, you know, whatever, a, you know, your wheel guns are a little bit harder. Lever guns are still a little bit harder, but you can still get for the most part, you can get stuff. But I remember asking Sam, I'm like, well, what's it like when you can get stuff? Because, I can remember going into, it didn't matter what distributor, if it was you guys or somebody else, and you'd go in and you'd say, all right, I want all firearms. And then you'd click on that. And then, it, you know, you could kind of narrow it, filter it down and then go, all right, only in stock. And it would drop from, I don't know, 10,000 SKUs of firearms to 23. Correct. And the 23, <laughs> like 
21 of those were either BB guns or muzzle loaders or some of, you know, a $4,000, you know, some, you know, gun that, you know, it would, it, even those would sell, but you know, you just, you could not get anything. No. And everything was, if you didn't click on it right away. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and, and wrap that sale up as quick as possible. It was gone. So I've figured out gone. the timeline on what distributors update their SKUs, like their, your, oh you know, yeah, like when your, they do it, yeah. Your wish list or your or their like so basically, and and I'm 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 fishing right now, but I'm pretty sure that there's a time that every distributor has where if the distrib if the uh, rep has it allocated and then they didn't get it sold, then it goes into like, it goes general. Yeah, yeah it, it goes, goes into in general, general, but it's only in general for just a minute because then it's gone. So I know what time each one of those are. So I would have my phone set to where I would wake up. Some of them are at two o'clock in the morning and some of them are at midnight. Um, but they would wake up. I would wake up and I would wait for that, that, that alert to go off. So then I could reach in and grab that gun that quickly. But see, that's where your business owner is smart and they all adapt to those conditions. And that's what you did. Um, the same thing is true. You know, I would tell dealers, um, during COVID and during tough times when it was hard to get guns, they said, Hey, I'm, it's a mom and pop shop. So your guys are calling me and I can't really take the call because I'm busy taking care of customers. And I said, I understand that you've got to take care of your customers. What you need to do is set a different ringtone on your cell phone. That's like the weirdest ringtone. And when that ringtone goes off, I don't know of any of your customers that if you told them, Hey, wait just one second, I got to take this because this is how I get the guns that you want. I have told that to numerous customers and I have never had one one time. I'll be on the cell store. I'm like, hold on. I got to take this call right now because this is, this is a rep calling me and it could be inventory and they don't have a problem with it at all. Um, I, I, I honestly think that they're appreciative of it. Um, because, and, or, and there's also times where, um, I'll be running through the, sh literally running through the shop because my I've left my phone up front and I can hear it go off and I'm like, Oh, I know what I got to go get that call. And I just, and I'm running through the shop and even the staff they're laughing because they're like, Oh, that's, that's an important call. And it's not an important call. Like, you know, somebody was in an accident. It's no, a, it's a, it's a, that's an important call. There's if I don't, and if I don't answer it, you can't even pick up the phone and call them right back because no. that, that rep is right on to the next call. They're dialing their next customers, what mm -hmm. they're doing. And it's nothing against you. It's no. just, you know, they've got to make money too. Um, they're on commission basis and they're trying to move product mm -hmm. and they're trying to also take care of the next customer too. Right. So, I mean, if they, if they miss you or somebody was in front of you and now they're calling you, yeah. you're like, hell, this is great. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, that's, that's how, so that's kind of how that's, I say that's kind of, that's a little insight as to how we got the stuff that we got. And we still use that, um, that today, I mean, to get stuff and, you know, we, the only thing that there's a few small things that we don't have in the shop. Like right now we're out of 22 shot show, but you're in shops. How many, what, two or three shops a day, four days a week, five days a week, six days a week. Yeah. I usually when get was the last time you saw 22 shot shell anywhere. And it's, it's that rodent shell is mm -hmm. what it is. And I've, I've got it in nine. I've got it in 40. I've got it in, mm -hmm. I just picked it up for 45 and I've got it in 38, 357, but I don't have the 22. Is that mainly because I'm getting off on a tangent here, but is that mainly because you're in rural area that you, I hear about dealers that say they still want that 22 shot shell, but it seems like it's more. Um, I mean, guys around here use it in the judges or they're. Okay. You know, that's they're, what I thought. Yeah. Snake guns. And they use it for snake guns mm -hmm. or they'll also use it for, um, 
yeah, rodents and stuff mm. like that. Uh, Henry makes a smooth bore. Yep. Uh, garden to the garden, garden gun. gun. Yep. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it's for. And, you know, I think it's kind of like even, you know, if you go back to 2020, 2019 going into 2020 and where we are today, one of the last rounds of shotgun shells that you'd see on the shelves were shelves were the 410. Oh yeah. Yep. And now 410 is still almost impossible to get. And we have had 410 on the shelves pretty much nonstop, but people have asked me and, you know, even 28 gauge and 16 gauge, or, you know, another one that's really interesting is um, for us here in Kansas is the straight wall cartridges where you've got 350 Bushmaster and 450 legend. And so I've had a lot of customers that'll come in and they're like, Hey, I want to get a 350 Bushmaster or 450 legend. I never even heard of it. I don't know anything about it. And I was kind of in that boat. I'd, I'd, I'd heard of it, but didn't know really much about it. And that's when I learned, well, in some of your Eastern, like your Rust Belt states, like Ohio. And I think, I don't know if Iowa was that way. Iowa is a complete straight wall cartridge state. Iowa is. Iowa is complete. Um, Illinois just passed theirs. Upper zone Ohio. Michigan. Um, upper zone Michigan. Um, Ohio gets into it some. And then you have Maryland, I think, is the other one as well. I thought there was more than that. But anyway, mm. and and for our listeners out there, so if you're hunting deer, you can't shoot a necked cartridge. It has to be a straight wall cartridge. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to let all my, all my secrets out of the bag, but <laughs> let's just say my wife works. Sometimes she works all over the country. And so I met, made friends with other dealers. Yeah. They needed 350 Legend and 450 Bushmaster. Well, mm-hmm. that's the only thing that was on the shelf here. So you connect the dots. You trade it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's building relationships. Once again, in this industry, building relationships is a huge, huge deal. That's the biggest thing I could pass on probably to anybody. And so now we have customers are coming in and they're like, well, I want to build a AR that's, you know, 350 legend. I'm like, why? Well, because that was the only ammo that I could find. Mm. Well, instead of doing that, why don't you come over here and buy some of this five, five, six, that's a fraction of the cost. It's a NATO round. If the zombie apocalypse happens, there's going to be, that's going to be one of, if not the last round that's, you know, around that's, that's available and it's going to be the quickest to come back. And if longer distance, yeah, long, everything about it's better. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I mean, other than if you had somebody at, you know, 50 yards and, you know, you wanted to have knockdown power, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. But other than that, um, you know, the, the gun to function, it's not, you know, you're not taken and I mean, they work, they're functional and it's, and it's doable, but. Um, you know, it's kind of an anomaly, I guess, if you're not, not an anomaly, but an oddball gun, oddball caliber to, to put a, put an AR, but we, I mean, we have guys that come in and build every caliber out there. And now they came out with the, um, 460, um, Buckmaster. Yeah. Which is, that, that was a release at SHOT Show. Was it, uh, mm-hmm. Winchester did that or Remington? Yeah. One of the, uh, I don't think it was those guys. I think it was another manufacturer and I had to look and see, uh, but they, they partner up sometimes, uh, mm-hmm. A gun manufacturer and then an ammo manufacturer. And I'm not sure. I don't think that 460 has gained a whole lot of ground yet. I'm not right. sure. You know, it's new calibers always take a little bit longer yeah. to gain some traction on them. 30 super carry. That was mm-hmm. last, that wasn't this year's shot show. That was the year before. So that's lesson came out with that. And that was in collaboration with Federal, I think. Yeah. Yep. And then, um, well, of course, SIG has their new, um, military round, the, the uh, Fury round. Fury round. Mm-hmm. We just got a case of that in. Mm hmm. Um, and then seven millimeter PRC, seven millimeter PRC, I think is going to be in just my, my two cents. Um, I think that might be the new hot round, you know, when the six, five Creedmoor came out that brand new round that's mm-hmm. uh, been out for how long, but it was the new round. 
Um, and everybody kind of, and they're still, it's still a big, huge caliber, but, um, you know, everybody had to get the six, five Creedmoors, um, right when it got resurrected. And so now I think the seven mil PRC may be, I don't know if it's going to overtake a six, um, six millimeter Creedmoor or 6.5, um, Creedmoor, but it has a potential and they're coming up with good things. But, you know, there's still, in my opinion, there's still a lot of calibers out there that are overlooked. Oh, I agree. Yeah. 25 out six. 25 out six. Um, I'm a big 257 Weatherby mag mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or just any of the 257. Now you get into those stranger calibers, but that's okay. <laughs> right. But I think that 257, yeah, a 257 Roberts. And, but if for, if you're looking for, I don't know, oddball calibers, but man, that thing's got a lot of, there's a lot of potential in that 257. But everybody wants to come up with the new calibers and be on the new things. Um, I think we should. You know, go back and look at the older stuff. Well, 257 Weatherby was, um, was it Roy Weatherby? Is he the one that started Weatherby? I think it was Roy. Mm-hmm. That was his number one go-to round from, or Carol Weatherby. I can't remember now. I, I I'm having drawn a blank. But anyway, um, that was his go-to round. And he's, um, I've read his book and he, uh, he shot a Cape Buffalo with that. That's impressive. I mean, I will, th- I don't, and I think it says in there like he wouldn't recommend it or something along those lines or somewhere, but, but it can be done. And that's the thing that's crazy about that round is, is that you can go, you can, you can, ne- you can start down with like, you know, like a predator, like, you know, fox, coyote and load it for that. Or you can go all the way, you know, for anything in the, in North America. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty cool round and it's flat and it's a rocket ship. And, and then if you're looking for, you jump into um, anything in North America, you know, the 30 out six. God, when I was younger in my teens and I was looking for a great, had one. great deer gun, my brother told me, you know what? Yeah, 30 out six. Kill anything you want to in North America. 30 30. 30 30. Yep. Yep. And the great thing about, you know, those calibers like that, as you well know in Kansas, you can go knock on anybody's door. Folks, ranchers, um, farmers in Kansas, great, great folks. And any other state in the Midwest or anywhere you go, most of them are really good if you're polite to them. Knock on their door. You traveled somewhere. You lost your ammo. As long as it's not some crazy round, most of them are going to go. You know what? Here's a box of ammo. Mm-hmm. Here's a box of ammo. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing that that people need to also keep in mind when you're going out and buying. You know, like well, I just talked about a two fifty seven, two fifty seven Weatherby mag. You take that gun to you know Alaska or anywhere. If you don't have your ammo or something happens or if it's you know it's it gets lost or whatever, it doesn't make the trip. You're done. That that's a whole wasted trip that you had out there that you planned for how many months and cost how much money. Mm-hmm. So, and when you travel nowadays, and I travel quite a bit with firearms, they make you put them usually in separate containers, mm-hmm. and you have to travel this way, and they tell you how to do it. And TSA gets kind of um, bent out of shape on certain things, but plan ahead. Make sure you got contingency plans um, and set up redundancies as well. Yep. Mail mail the ammunition ahead. Mm-hmm. Ship it ahead. Very smart. So. You had mentioned when we first got started that you're out obviously in the field talking to, you know, dealers and everything. What is the market today? What's going on in this industry? What's the market's obviously it's, it's slowed down a little bit. We're getting into summertime Um, in traditionally in the gun industry. The summertime has been that slower time period when everybody gets out of school, you start taking vacations, family vacations. Um, There's not usually a whole lot of hunting going on. Um, in those summertime periods. So, you know, you see what we call that summer slump. Uh, doesn't mean that the industry is going to take a downturn. It just means that, you know, the families are going out there 
and it's that slower time period. Every industry has a slow time period, right. and that's the gun industries kind of slow down. Doesn't mean anybody needs to panic and go, oh my God, we're not selling guns anymore. It just means, hey, that's when it's it's projected. We know. I think right now, my opinion is, is I think that summer slump may be starting a couple weeks early. So we're starting to see the slowdown. Does the economy have something to do with it? I think so too as well. Um, you know, are you going to go buy a gun or are you going to go buy that gallon of milk instead? Um, are you seeing in your shops that you're going to, are you seeing the ones that do take trade-ins and, and, and or consignment type stuff or just flat out right buying guns? Are you seeing, are you hearing more of that? The used gun market is growing. Uh, you'll see dealers, and I talk to dealers quite a bit, that people are trading in guns. Um, estate sales are happening. Seems mm -hmm. like a little bit more here and there. But Speaking most of, of I got we have an estate sale. I want you to look at some of these guns. We got we had a little collection come in. It's little. It's only five guns, but the strongest five guns I've ever seen in a collection. Pretty I cool. definitely want to see those. Yeah. Then definitely want to see those. Awesome. When we get done here, I'll show you. But yeah, there are dealers are starting to see more and more of that. Um, People are always going to want the new stuff, the the newest releases out there, whatever manufacturers are putting out new things, which I love to see times like this when manufacturers are adapting to what the industry's got going on. All these manufacturers that are out there have been building guns for a long, long time. So, you know, you'll see a lot of them coming out with new models. That keeps everybody energized. That keeps that um, excitement going as well. And so customers want to go, you know what? I might just trade in one of my older guns and pick up this new one, 7 mil PRC. Might jump into that caliber. Might pick up a new handgun. Um, carry conceal handguns are constantly coming out. I just had a customer. Models. It's funny you say that because you hit the nail right on the head. I just had a customer who um, had put a special order in for us, and it's just for. It was actually for a new Canny the MC uh, MC9. MC9. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, we got them what they wanted, and. Um, this particular person was actually like number three on the list for, you know, putting an order in for these. And so I called and let him know. And this is an individual that, you know, the money's not necessarily an issue. And they're like, well, I'm thinking about trading in a, you know, gun on that. And it's just, you know, gun I don't use, I don't have. And I'm like, well, we can, you know, but mm -hmm. that particular gun was one that we asked like well, i'm i'm pretty deep in in that and i just took another one of those in on trade so you probably this isn't the best time to do it but if you want to you can sure and so exactly what you're saying that's what we're seeing same but you can always turn around and, and in your shoes you're going to repurpose that you're going to take yeah. and put it back out there and it allows that used gun to be not maybe the same price uh, obviously as a new gun um and it's usually a deep enough discount that somebody coming in that has to you know, security and taking care of your family is a big, big thing nowadays. Absolutely. So everybody wants to be able to go to the gun store and pick up a gun that's reliable, uh, that's a good price. And so you provide them that, that, with that ability to do that. So yeah. I think it's a great thing. Yeah, I always cringe right now with um, the, the individuals that bought ARs, you know, eight months, year, two years ago, mm -hmm. when everything was just through the roof. And I'm like, I mean, we've even had them where they bought them from us. And I'm like, look, here's the deal. I was paying this much for them. And I've, I felt so bad before. Um, I'm like, here, let me just, let me show you my books. Here's what I paid for it. And here's what I'm sold it to you for. And now here's what I can pay for that exact gun today. And 
So that's why I'm offering what I'm offering. Cause I felt so horrible, but I mean, we were paying escalated prices, um, you know, through some of the manufacturers that we, we buy direct from, um, you know, and they were charging that because they had higher costs of, you know, manufacturing and the demand was there. And so as I get to go around and see dealers, I'm in the stores quite a bit and I'm always surprised. It seems like um, customers think that there's this huge, huge margin. Oh, I did. Um, in guns. I was dumbfounded. I almost, I almost hit the brakes on this whole thing. I was like, <laughs> what? As many businesses as you own and you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to make what? Yeah. <laughs> or, or not make what? Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I'm like, so yeah. when you talk about you, you show customers sometimes what you pay for a gun, uh, from distribution. And I, I don't know if they believe you or not. I've never been in that situation when you showed it to them, but they, uh, they're, I think they're surprised. Mm -hmm. I was. Yeah. Everybody has this myth that, you know, the gun industry is just, you know, huge, huge profits and it's not, it's no. Not. And I can tell you from somebody who's just getting into it and somebody who comes from a business background, it's, it just, it's the dumbest thing in the whole damn world. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know if owning a gun store is a sexy, cool thing to do. Um, so you can tell your friends, Hey, own a gun store. And they're like, wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and that's if you live in a gun friendly state. I haven't had that experience yet. <laughs> You're talking to the wrong people. So. Well, my <laughs> wife tells me that it's, she's like, well, wait a minute here. I think this is like, this would be like if I opened up a shoe and purse store. Mm -hmm. Like, well, no, cause I sell them. You like guns. So I think you're into it now, but if your business side ever kicked in and you were just like you said, when you looked at it, when you were getting into it, you're like, wait a minute, I, I got to change this. Maybe I should rethink this, but you've done well with it. Well, we diversified. We didn't just, so I was like, all right, let me, I, I think what it did is it intrigued me. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, wait a minute. How can, how can there be, you know, these big box stores like, you know, Cabela's and how can, you know, even Walmart still, you know, that's what they were built on and started. And now they're, that's, that's like, you know, we're talking about this industry. It drives me nuts that the firearms industry, you know, will just fold and, and cater to Walmart. They're not to a, they're not, they're not, they're not on our side, I don't think. And yet, and if, and if they, if they would not, sell to them at the, I mean, I know that they, they account for huge numbers and huge volume, but the thing of it is, is that that's, that wouldn't evaporate. It would be picked up by other shops and stuff like that. But I don't know if that gets into the politically correct side. Um, you know, people want to make decisions certain ways and then they come back and find out, you know, maybe that was a bad one. You look at, um, beer sales and not to get off on a different tangent, you look at beer sales or something like that nowadays. And, um, well, that wasn't a very smart decision. Yeah, I don't think. and we're going to leave that one alone for now. But right. um, sticking on the gun industry because that's enough things to talk about. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's it, margins. So all I do is just tell customers or dealers, you know, you've got to make money. Um, and so when you have more than one gun store in a town, and I've been in situations where I've gone into um, towns and and dealers like, hey, I got to be cheaper than the guy across town. I go, why is that? No. And they're like, because if I don't, then I'm not going to sell the gun. My big thing is, is um, we talked about this uh, at the beginning of this, customer service in all the industries, Yes, everything. If you have a competition in the same industry, let's go back to providing customer service. Competition is the that, best. It's the best. In everything. That's what made America. Capitalism. Absolutely. Uh, Capitalism and, competition is beneficial for every facet of the 
the the the the sell or the whatever you want to call it the mm -hmm. market i mean the, mm -hmm. the consumer the the business owner the employees i mean it just it makes it makes everything less expensive and better but if you could go into if you're servicing your truck mm -hmm. and you can go in there and that that dealership or whoever you're taking it to is going to take care of you and and say kip hey thanks for coming in um maybe have a chat with you shake your hand or you've got to wait somewhere and it's going to take longer and maybe they don't fix it right the first time or change the oil right. And you get home and it's dripping oil on your driveway, but it was, Hey, you saved 50 bucks. Well, you know, I lived, I was born and raised here, you know, small town, America, middle America. And then I moved, um, to Phoenix and I was in Phoenix for several years. And I remember thinking it was actually a Saturday afternoon and I had a flat tire mm -hmm. and the closest tire shop was like, five miles away but in phoenix in those big cities when you live in the big cities like that everything is within a mile or two you i mean if you go if you go two miles east west north south it doesn't matter there's the exact same little setup you got your grocery store you got your ups yep. store you got your you know everything every two miles anywhere you go well this was like five or six miles and they didn't have any kind of a you know come out service and so when i got my you know i can change a tire so i got my my spare flat well, now I'm done. Yeah. Now you're shot. Yeah. And I got thinking to myself, I was like, man, tire rack, like because of shops like, or because of internet like that, you know, where they can save you so much money. Now you've taken that shop, that mom and pop shop out of the equation and they're not there to provide customer service. And it's the same thing in every industry. Like people, you know, and don't get me wrong. Like we have people all the time and I tell my staff, I'm like, all right, here's the deal we don't have to be the least expensive, but everybody's got one of these in their pocket. It's a phone and everybody has the capability if they want to, to go out and look and see what they can get that for from somebody else. Yep. We don't have to be the least expensive, but we need to be kind of in the ballpark. We can't be, you know, raking them over the coals. And, you know, there is some stuff like with the change in the market that, you know, we bought stuff at too high a price. And so, you know, I'll take the margins down to you know, next to nothing. Um, just that's to, owning any business. I yeah. mean, you might have to take a loss on something because the market changes. Mm -hmm. um, the mom and pop shops of the gun industry are a huge, huge thing to Davidson's. Um, it's like you said, it is the backbone. It gets into all the capitalism um, of what makes the U.S. and what makes everything work inside of it. So we always want to support the mom and pop shops you know, in any way we can. Yeah. And that goes back to having the outside guys and going around and seeing our dealers, um, helping them out with events, doing whatever we can. And everybody always goes, you know, what's your um, what's your job entail? And I go, whatever we need to do, whatever we need to do. If we go out and see that dealer and all of a sudden they're going for a gun show or they just got a big shipment in and, you know, they were shorthanded that day, we'll jump in there and help out. Yeah, I've had you help me at the shop, you know, with sales and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, like field customers questions and, and stuff like that. And obviously extremely knowledgeable and that's a huge, huge help. And, you know, you had kind of hit on, we're talking about pricing and stuff like that. We also diversified. So we also, and I'd like to say that I had this whole great idea and all this stuff and, you know, I had it all planned out and some of it, I did have ideas and, you know, I'd written down and, you know, what if type stuff, but it was absolutely the the man upstairs, the good Lord. He was like, you know, slapping me around a little bit hey, <laughs> and introducing me to people, um, you know, like yourself that, you know, helped me in the industry get to where we are right now. And, and, you know, we're onward and upward and we're continuing to grow. But, you know, we've got our gunsmith, 
and we've, you know, full service shop. We can do complete firearm restoration, clear down to just a clean and oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Brian, he's our engraver and, you know, heck he's, we just, uh, we did in a, a 1911 engraved in 1911 and it was on the Pope and Young, um, uh, by, biannual uh, live auction. And to my knowledge, I believe that was the first firearm that Pope and Young had ever auctioned off. Um, and we've done one for friends of the NRA. We've done, you know, um, stuff like that. And so it's not just that, um, you know, you're not just coming in. We're not just a transaction shop. You figured things out and you've understood as you go. Um, I don't know if you're opening up more doors or how you're figuring it out, but, um, you know, like you said, you're evolving into gunsmithing, engraving, doing all these different things that make you, it's still within the industry, but you're diversifying into little areas of that, which help you out more and more. Um, and that's a big, big deal. You've also like, when I come in and talk to you, you'll pick my brain and you'll be like, Hey, you get to travel all over the U S I'm going to do it again. I know. Enough here. I know. And I'm, I'm picking it right now, but I also, cause this <laughs> won't air for like a week. So that way I can, I can have the knowledge for a week and I got to run with it. Hold off for another month or so. And then you're going to air it. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but you'll ask me, you know, what are you seeing going on? And Hey, what do you think about the shop? I don't have all the golden answers. But what I do is I just tell you, hey, I've seen this happen, or I've seen dealers do this, or I've seen them come up with a great idea, uh, and and I might give you that idea or tell you how they did it, and you take and put a little twist on it. Yeah. Because I've seen you do events, and you put a twist on it, and it becomes successful. Well, every everybody's market's a little different. Sure. Absolutely. I've always said, don't reinvent the wheel. No. I mean, there's guys out there that have way smarter than I am and have you know, had success or, or had an idea and then you just have to, you know, tweak it a little bit for your market. And so that's, you know, that's what we've tried to try to do here. So it's, you know, it's just, and, and, and this market, this industry is, is it's ever changing. Oh, it is. So that's something that's, you know, that's kind of intriguing to me is, is that it's, it's still the same, but it's ever changing because of the regulations and uh, what's going on. Um, and when you get into e-commerce, then you're going to get into a different creature because now you're going to be selling from Kansas over to the West Coast, maybe California, or, yeah. you know, what's going to happen in Washington State now with all their stuff where they're trying to shut down all sales of firearms. And everybody's like, you can't do that. And they go, well, you can fight it. You can fight it. And that's what's going to happen. But when you just say this Isn't is what's Rainier going to happen. out of Washington State? Um, that's where their one of their home offices is, yes. I can't believe that I would have, I would have to believe that they probably are looking at bailing. I would think, I don't know. Once again, look at Illinois when they passed their law in um, January and they said, you can't sell ARs. Look at there's manufacturers within that state um, that do ARs as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's the part that frustrates me the most with that, with, with the, with the regulation side of it, mm-hmm. you know, um, like I like taking into the pistol brace thing or the, the, the trigger, you know, bump stock, all that different stuff, like remove all of the politics from it, you know, just, just go down to the fundamentals of, okay, let's do the pistol. Let's use the pistol brace. At one point in time, your regulatory agency, the ATF said they're good. You can do it. So then you had all these individuals that went out and started all these facilities manufacturing all this stuff. And they went out and they got, you know, loans and hired these people and built these facilities and did all this stuff. And they were, you know, making the American dream. And then all of a sudden 
dysregulatory completely makes an about face. And then you've got individuals that are losing their jobs that are, that are, you know, now they're upside down, potentially going to lose, you know, potentially could lose everything. And then there's a high likelihood that, you know, the next, after the next election or two elections or whatever, then that's going to flip back to where it was before. And it's like, these individuals are making decisions and they don't even, they're not even elected. I, I think a lot of it is that people don't understand what the issues are you, you're getting into. And I don't know if we're going down this tangent or not of um, shootings. And that's where all the regulations come in. And we probably aren't going to jump into the shooting side of it. Um, but you see politicians come in and I don't think they have the education and the knowledge. You know, they talk about fully automatic um, ARs. I think it's funny when they say that, because if I'm being 100% honest and I own a gun shop, I've got an SOT license so I can legally possess those. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I've ever laid eyes on one. I know I've never held one, but, it, but everybody thinks oh, you can just a black go out. rifle and you can just go grab it and Correct. scary black rifle. Correct. But also during COVID, I'm going to bounce back to COVID again. Um, since I deal nationwide, you know, police departments were out there telling people we're overwhelmed. We can't answer calls yeah. or the, um, the response time on a call is this much. So you might have to start helping yourselves or protecting yourselves. So nationwide, people were going out and picking up guns. And that's well, obviously that's where the, the gun sales spiked. California is one of the most restrictive, and there's a wait period on them. And I had dealers that um, I yeah. dealt with in California that said, you know, all these folks are coming in, and they're wanting to buy a gun. They just go in the counter, and they're like, yeah, I want that one. I'm like, okay, you know, we got to do a background check, fill this paperwork out. And they're like, no, no, I just want that gun. Oh, I see that all the time, mm -hmm. all the time here. And we're in the Midwest here. And one I, of the easiest places to, you know, not saying they just hand guns out on the street corner. You still do background checks in the Midwest. But you would, I was dumbfounded at the amount of, these are smart people. Mm -hmm. These are people that, that have successful businesses. They're not gun people. No. But they're just, they're, they're smart individuals and they think, like I've literally been at my restaurant walking through and somebody will ask something, you know, and you know, then the topic comes to that, you know, and I start explaining to them like, well, there's, you know, an AR stands for armor light rifle. Mm -hmm. It doesn't stand for assault rifle. <laughs> assault rifle. <laughs> and you know, and then, the, then it leads to, you can't buy a gun over the internet and just have it sent to your house. You, you can't, and you can't go to a gun, a gun, uh, uh, a, a, a gun show and just buy one without, you know, a background check and you can't, you know, there's no fully out there and you got to fill out a background check. And I'll tell you, we've had people that have come in and they're pissed. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they're pissed. They have to find, they have to, to, to fill out a, a 4473 to get a gun because they listened to that TV and that TV told them everything that they needed to know. And tell, whatever's on the TV is gospel, right? Tell a vision. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it's just, it's crazy to me. And, and I think that if more people knew that, that, you know, armor art rifle and it was the 15th prototype or design yep. or whatever the, the exact terminology is that that's how AR 15 came about. And then Colt purchased the, the patent wasn't, is that how it worked? I think or? the Colt did it. And then I think there's another manufacturer as well, but then it, it obviously blew up into everybody. And then, um, you know, it's one of the most popular, long guns out there right now because yeah, it's a multi-purpose and that's what people oh you don't need it to run to hunt i would tell you that i use that and i'm a woodstock guy mm -hmm. i love lever actions 
our shop is full of wood stock stuff. Um, we have a ton of people come in and they're like, I'm glad to see it's not just all plastic and, you know, ARs. Um, but it's just a great weapon platform. Oh, it is. It is. But, you know, when people talk about restricting this, restricting that, I always, and I try not to get into too many conversations when you're out there with friends or, you know, at a party or something like that, because you're going to get beat up and you're going to get overwhelmed by more of them than, than there are the gun folks. It seems like. See, that's where you're smarter than I am. I, <laughs> I put my hat down and say, all right, let's go. <laughs> I just tell them I'm in the sporting um, goods department is all I am. So, right. you know, guns, I don't know. Yeah. We don't get into that too much, but um, you know, last time I checked, it was against a lot of kill people. Wasn't it? Well, that's, Oh man. Every time there's one of these shootings, I'm like, well, how many laws were broken? Before they pulled the trigger. So do we need three more laws right. for the same one? That's Yeah, exactly. How many more laws are you going to put in place? And there's so many laws that are broken that nothing's happened. There's no, nothing happens. And it's just, it just is so frustrating. And that's the thing that's, you know, from another thing from this side is, is that, you know, and I might catch a little heck from, from, from the two a side here. When I say this, that, um, I think there needs to be more resources for the FFL holders from the ATF to help with, you know, as somebody who came in and started as an FFL dealer, it's a huge responsibility. And I take that responsibility extremely, extremely serious. And I have a great relationship with my ATF um, office and I can get a hold of them fairly quickly. Um, and I always err and caution on the side of, well, I'll just say, no, you know, we can wait, you know, it's not worth the, you know, hundred dollars that you're going to make on the sale of that gun to potentially put yourself into, you know, a bad situation. But there is a lot of gray area. And then in addition to that, the gray area becomes even more gray because it's up to interpretation. Mm -hmm. And then. All of a sudden, a you, different agent will one agent exactly. will tell you this, and another agent will tell you that. Exactly. So I've had that happen many a time. And, and then, then who knows what the directive is of exactly. the let's say DOJ telling ATF, "Hey, here's what we're trying to go Correct. for." Correct. It's almost like they're trying to set a trap for you, mm -hmm. and it's like, man, mm -hmm. well, that's not. There are bad apples, just like anything. There are bad apples, but but I can speak for myself, and I can tell you that we're not that way. We we well, matter of fact, we self reported ourselves on a straw sale once. And we kept that, that response that you got was the yeah. exact same response I got from my ATF agent, but it took us about three days to put all the pieces together. And what ultimately had happened is, is they bought a Glock and they bought the wrong one and it was a 40 caliber instead of a nine. Oh, and it took three or four days and the two individuals had come in and they put it into one person's name and we didn't, you know, it was like, there was nothing really that was just two people coming together. They talked about buying a gun and then the individual bought it. Well, then the second individual came back in that was with them and started buying accessories, but it was for a different Glock. Oh, I, a different Glock. Right. And so I just thought, well, they have a, they, they were over there the other day talking about a Glock. So they must have a Glock. Mm -hmm. Well, then two or three days later, they come back and they're like, Hey, this is supposed to be for, you know, a G27. And I bought it for, you know, a G19. And I was like, well, you know, we can't return it. Well, then, it, you know, light bulb went off. I'm like, wait a minute. They bought the wrong gun. <laughs> and so they didn't have the piece of paper from the guy out there that told them to buy. Exactly. <laughs> so then I was like, Hey man, 
here's what happened. So then I called our local police department, law mm-hmm. enforcement, told them, you know, what was going on. Cause I, I was like, I don't want to take it. Ch- if something happens with that, I'd never be able, you know, and, so, and one of the law enforcement officers got hurt or somebody else got hurt. You're being proactive is what you're Absolutely. trying to be and trying to let them know. So that way they can circumvent it. One thing I would, and I don't want to get into too much quicksand on this one is I don't think ATF and I've never been on the actual FFL holder side. Um, I don't think ATF is going to be your education side, and I don't think that's what you're saying. You're just no, asking them for information. No, I know the NSSFs out there. Yeah. Think, but what I'm saying is, is just there needs to be more resources for the FFL dealer because there are situations that come up mm-hmm. that you want to know from that person's mouth. And I guess I'm coming from my background comes from the restaurant side where we've got the alcohol and beverage control. It's a very similar situation. They're a regulatory agency. It's on the state level instead of the national level, but when you, they have a director, they have, it's the same concept, the same setup, I guess. And from that side, there is all kinds of resources and standards and practices. And But don't forget the government agency, and you well know this, um, yeah. the government agency is the one that's going to make the final call because yeah, exactly. they're going to come into your store and go, here's what, you know, we found this deficiency, Kip, and this one. Um, NSSF, you brought up, Davidson's does a Davidson's Live, and we've yep. gotten into more of the... Um, compliance and things like that, that we put on those uh, Davidson's live um, shows as well. Yeah. And along that same line, I get, I, I got a call today from a, from a customer. Mm-hmm. What do I do with my pistol? Well, I got an AR pistol. What do I do? Oh yeah. Yeah. With <laughs> all the new stuff coming yeah. down. And I'm like, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not the ATF. There's a ton of resources out there, you know. Don't forget, um, didn't mean to cut you off, no, but um, end of May is when that um, pistol brace deal, if you haven't submitted your um, tax stamp on is that. Is it submitted or is it got it back? Well, I know that there's an organization out there that you can go through and they're cutting theirs off on the 16th of May. Um, so I don't know if it's, and I don't want to tell anybody or advise anybody on what you know, the ATF is doing, but I would make sure that you submit it way before the end of my understanding. If you don't have it back, Mm -hmm. then at that point, I've heard different lines on it. And so I don't want to say, Hey, this is what it is because they're going to come back and say, Hey, Jack said, I'm not the authority, but correct. I'm not anywhere near the authority on any of that. So we kind of got off onto ATF and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you and get in what's, what's, um, is there anything out there that you can talk about? I know that you're tight, tight lipped on some Mm -hmm. stuff, but you're always um, one of the first to know about stuff that's going on. What's the newest, latest? What's going to be big? Was there anything you can share with us that's going to be coming out? Can't disclose too much on that. I would just say keep an eye on everything, the manufacturers. Um, they're trying to keep everything, you know, exciting. Uh, they know that they have to come up with new products. Every manufacturer's got folks. You, you got you. You can tell us there's a manufacturer that you're excited to see something. Um, there's a couple of them, at least a couple of them that I'm excited to see. Names. Just um, tell us the manufacturer's name. Can't can get you? into all those things. Uh, can't get into all those. I want to ask you. Um, it's like Christmas coming up. You know, you're gonna get a box. You're gonna right? get a box. You're, we got a present for you, Kip. Mm-hmm. And you're like, so what is it? What is it? Can I shake it? Nope, you can't shake it and find out if it rattles. I was always that kid that went down and. Found the box beforehand, <laughs> and you were out there shaking. You can't the hell tell, can you? Uh, no, no. Uh, From the conversations you uh, had, I'm no. like, come on, man, trying to cheat on the and, system. And 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 Jack is a hard orange to pill. <laughs> I've I've yet to figure out how to how to to get in there. So, 
um, one we can talk about. Um, we were at Shot Show and um, talked to the Ruger Marlin guys. Mm-hmm. Three thirty six. The three thirty six is their newest release. Uh, Marlin has a lot of things planned. I will say that they have a lot of things that they're working on. Um, when they took over, when Ruger bought Marlin um, on the bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. They wanted to make sure it was because Marlin was part of the Remington. Marlin was part of that Remington group. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's a perfect, perfect fit for Ruger. Ruger had looked at Marlin um, in the past. And so I think it works out incredibly well. They wanted to make sure that resurrecting Marlin and coming out with that lever action, they wanted it to that Ruger standard. And so everybody was antsy. They didn't put out a huge chunk of them. Uh, at the first of the year when they started getting them and they released some toward the end of that year. I forget what the year was. I think you're was saying one, some, which gun, which model are you? That was an 1895 SBL, right. which was their first one. And if you take one of those Ruger Marlin 1895s and compare it to one of the Remingtons, I think you're going to see a, a pretty significant difference. And along those lines of that, I think that that's a testament because I would agree with you. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's a better weapon, but for our listeners out there that don't know and don't understand when Ruger bought that in bankruptcy. And I know this because you told me mm-hmm. um, that they basically got a bunch of semis. It, it was not the easy transaction because it took them longer than what everybody wanted to, or what everybody thought. They're just like, okay, you bought a company, you go down there and you just start manufacturing, turn the light switch on and you start pumping guns out. Right. Simple. It's not the way it worked. They didn't get the facility. That's what I said. They didn't get the facility. They mm-hmm. got all the intellectual Pieces, rights. Parts. Yeah, they all that the, stuff. The paper clips, the paperwork, the computers, as well as the mills and the lathes and the presses. And and now you got to figure out, do you open up a brand new facility? And I'm not speaking for Ruger by any means, but do you open up a brand new facility or do you incorporate it into one of their other facilities, which they did? Um, and then, you know, manufacturers as big as Ruger don't just go, okay, we got plenty of room over there. No, all their all their buildings are full. So you right. got to figure out how do we how do we get these in there? And you want to start making money as soon as possible. Yeah, from an overhead and efficiency standpoint, they don't just have a hundred thousand square foot facility just sitting there ready to put more machines in. And the thing is, you can't just add on to it right away either. Right. Um, Thirty days, you add on to it, doesn't work that way. And every single, all, all, the, the vast majority of those machines are precision machinery, and so mm-hmm. they all have to be plus or minus thousands with regards to the concrete and where they're laid. And, and don't forget, Marlin's an older company, mm-hmm. so all those machines are those older machines. And so, so were those machines? And maybe you don't know this or not, but I was under the understanding that the original Marlin machines, when they were in New York or New Hampshire, yeah. where were they? Connecticut, I believe. Connecticut, mm-hmm. somewhere up there in the Northeast, mm-hmm. that they, that Remington had came in and scrapped those machines or changed those machines or moved those machines, or is that not the case? I believe, and I could be absolutely wrong, but I think they moved all those machines. Yeah. They moved them down to Alabama. And I think, I think I read an article somewhere that said that basically where those machines were at, that you could go over to the wall and there were like notes on how to run the machine. <laughs> and, you know, here we are in the air capital of the world, you know, we mm-hmm. have mach- machine machinists are everywhere. Um, you know, almost every farm shed out here has got a mill or a lathe in it. And these old farmers will, you know, they'll contract actually, you know, to make parts for you know aircraft. So it's, it's something that even though I don't know very much about it, I know a little bit about it. And those old machines, they're literally you no know, notes over there. And this article that I read was like talking about how, some of the people that were running those machines at Marlin before, prior to the Remington purchase of it were third generation. 
So there are notes that were on the wall on how to run this machine and how to, you know, to, to put a shim in or what it needed to do or when, you know, how to, how to tighten it. Those were like their grandpa's notes. And they probably were. It, you bring up a good topic because if you can go out to Grand Island, Nebraska, where Hornady's at, mm-hmm. and you get to go tour their facility, you're going to see the new machines. And they have expanded a lot now. They've got an annex as well. But they'll take you through there, and you'll see some of the original machines that are still running from when Joyce Hornady started the company. And you're like, wow, that's kind of cool. You know, they're running it for nostalgia. And then they'll tell you, huh, that's some of our best running machines. Yeah. It's like that old metal on tractors yeah. or whatever. Those things hold up forever and yeah. ever and ever unless rust gets to them or something like that. But you take this new metal or some of these new machines, and I'm not going to say CNC machines aren't any good. They do phenomenal work. But if you want to hand fit something and you want to go back to all those times, Marlins, like you're saying, and running those old machines, that's a whole different character. You get into building revolvers, that's a big, big deal. Right. And that was what we saw with the pandemic is, is it was a business decision. Mm-hmm. So wheel guns were non-existent. <laughs> what was put out? Polymers. Polymers. Well, it was because the demand was there. It didn't matter what, like we already talked about in the podcast, it didn't matter what you put out. If you no. put it on the shelf, it sold. Yep. So why would you take the skilled labor to and the time that it would take, you know, to make a wheeled gun. You put three polymer guns out, let's say, to one revolver. Oh, probably, probably, yeah. Probably I bet it's say, ten to one. Yeah, probably ten. Maybe to one. Even twenty to one. Mm-hmm. And the profit margin is is more. And it's a business. Yeah, and so they. I'm I'm assuming I've not have been told exactly, or you know, but I would almost bet that that's exactly what all the you know Ruger, Smith and Wesson, Taurus, all of them. They're just like look. But everybody over here making polymers and I can just see those old, you know, the, the skilled machinists going, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but like you said, it's a business. You gotta, you know, you gotta get it out. So, so where I was going with all of that was, is that when, when Ruger released these guns, they're doing it with old parts that were made under the previous, then they have to test them, see if, you know, uh, quality control, see if they're going to fit, see if they fit their standards. But then, whatever parts they don't have, then they got to manufacture those. So now you've got parts that are manufactured at a different facility with different people, different quality control to these people. Now new machine setup changed. So those parts don't always fit together. Correct. And I think you saw that with rim arms when rim arms, Remington was bought and rim arms. Now the new rim arms. Yeah. Some of the first guns they sent out, there was a lot of, of, you know, reviews and, and tests that were done online and, and different um, YouTube channels and stuff like that. That, And they were showing, you know, these all don't fit quite together. They're still a functional weapon, still mm-hmm. a nice weapon, but they don't fit all together. Man, when those Rugers came out, they were. But don't forget the first one that they put out, the first Marlin that they put out was the 1895 SBL, mm-hmm. which was the hardest one to make due to the finish, due to everything about it. And that gun is still, well, we I think we got a total of like five of them in the shop. But that's. I'm I'm not going to be the Ruger spokesperson, and I'm not. But you want to keep those guns, in my opinion, to a limited production. And I'm not saying Ruger's doing that. Um, I'm not the spokesperson for Ruger by any means. But if all of a sudden you flooded the market with all those Marlins, and they just put out tons and tons of them, they wouldn't be sought after as much. And they wouldn't keep that value up there. So, you know, they're building a phenomenal gun in that SBL, the finish on it. I guarantee you, you can take one from when they first made it to five years down the road when they get done and match up the two of them, and they're going to be almost identical. Yeah. And that's what Ruger wanted to make sure, that they held the level up to 
where it needs to be. And they didn't want to just put out guns to put them out so everybody could have Marlins and then improve the quality. They wanted the quality to come out at this level and then continue to be at that level, not work up to it. Yeah. So the 336, is that 336 going to be in just one caliber, multiple calibers? Are they releasing? Do you, I mean, I'm asking out of curiosity. Uh, we haven't gotten a 336 in the shop. I know that they have been sending them out. And I'm sure we'll have one in the next couple of weeks. But they showed them out at Shot Show. We'll probably have one in the next. Couple I, I was going to say you're looking for one or asking for one. So I didn't say that. But <laughs> since you brought it up, <laughs> you I might know somebody, right? You might well, know somebody. I don't know. I'm talking to somebody right now. <laughs> um, Three thirty six. They had it out at Shot Show. Yep. And just like anything out at Shot Show, anybody, any manufacturers put it out. Yeah, which uh, you can go under our YouTube channel, and we've got a review with them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have a, we have a couple. Uh, they talked about a couple of different 336. And I'll have to look. Yeah, go to the YouTube channel and look. I can't remember what the other one was. Now I'm drawing a blank. But they put that out. Um, and the production wasn't there. I mean, they, they wanted to release shot shows. Obviously, you know, the industry show. Everybody wants to put out a new stuff. Um, and it gets your attention. And then you start looking for it the rest of the year. We started to see those kind of start flowing. Um, God, I want to see the end of February, maybe March. Um, you started seeing those coming off of production line and coming into distribution and Ruger is a two step, so you can't run direct with them. So it has to be through distribution. And so you start seeing those flowing in, um, are they at any kind of major production level? No, they're still sought after, but so is the 1895s. Um, are they still putting the 1895s out right now? Oh yeah. Yeah. Really? They're still putting the. 1895 SBLs, the Trappers, and then the GBLs. Right. We've had all three of them in. Um, we actually uh, had a customer that bought a Trapper and turned it tactical. I did see that one you did, you did tactical. And it was, I'm not, I'm a lever guy. I like traditional, but that thing was, that was badass. But you guys changed it. I mean, you changed it over to that tactical look. Yeah. And, and I'm 100% with you. Um, when you got a lever gun, it should have wood on it, should have this on it, and it kept a lot of those things. So that's what was really, really cool about yeah. it. And then you take that um, stainless or that um, brushed nickel on it, and then you start adding that black on there, and it, mm -hmm. it just it pops. It yeah. pops. But yeah. it's that person's gun, and he knew what he wanted. The customer that, that we did that for, um, he was – I mean, this guy looked like Grizzly Adams. Mm -hmm. He was an older guy. I was in the store. Yeah. That's right. You were here. And mm -hmm. I was like, there is, I mean, judge a book by his car. You would have never, I would have bet you the farm that that guy would never bought that gun. And he's like, I'll take it. Yeah. That's the one I want. That's, I like that idea. Let's go. Like, All right. Here we go. It is awesome. It is yeah. very, very cool. So go ahead. I'm sorry. So you got, uh, Marlin has just the four SKUs right now. Um, three of them are that 4570 and then the 336 is the 3030. They will have more SKUs coming out. So is the 336 going to have more calibers? I'm, and you don't have to tell me anything that's top, but that line will have more calibers? I believe so. Because it's my understanding so. that that 1895 is just a 4570. It won't mm -hmm. have any more. That's They're sticking with just that one for now, I believe. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess, the, I guess they own it. They can do whatever they want. They could potentially come out later on with 44 or 45 long colt into, those, into that 1895. Or to... Yeah, and that's going to depend. I think Ruger... It, from what I understand, and I don't, I'm not in Ruger's all their meetings right. and things like that, but I think they're going to work on expanding the, the Marlin line, uh, and coming out with the traditional models, if you want to call it that down the road, five years, 10 years, I don't know what, um, they may take like an 1805 and like you said, change it over to different caliber, do something different with it. 
maybe put a different spin on it. The gun industry constantly changes in what's going to be the demand in five years or 10 years. Is it going to be restricted? You know, right. what's the legislation going to be on it? So, um, but, you know, Ruger and Marlin put out that threaded barrel on it, which I think is really, really neat. Yeah, that's, that, that's, why not? Well, I would tell you that we have a large segment of the customers that unless the gun has a threaded barrel, they're not interested or they're interested if they can get an aftermarket threaded barrel or they come to us and say, can your gunsmith thread a barrel? I think, you know, there's that misconception about suppressors and everybody calls them silencers. Yeah. Um, that, that market is growing incredibly. And I think people should look into it more and more. I would have, if you would have asked me two or three years ago, uh, I've shot suppressed guns before in the military and things like that. I didn't ever own any. And I'm like, you don't need suppressors. I was you? the exact same way. And and once you get one, oh my God, it changes everything. It changes. Same way. I agree 100%. Everything. everything. I'm a snob now. That's what I was going to say. I'm a suppressor snob. I go out to the range and I still wear hearing protection, but people will shoot off stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, that's now your carry conceals a little bit different because. Right, 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 right. Um, but you get into long guns or you get into pistols. There's so many benefits. So many benefits of having that gun suppressed. And I, it's not just sound. Absolutely. I had somebody tell me recently, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I had somebody recently tell me that in Europe, mm -hmm. and I mean, that's a bunch of different countries, but in Europe, every gun has to be suppressed. It's required. And we're talking about. I don't know about every gun, but I do believe that they, they went into that hearing act is what they did. So. Um, I know you don't have tax stamps and things like that, and I'm not sure what all their yeah their, their gun are. restrictions are way more restrictive than ours. But that was one of the things. But the suppressor thing is pretty it's wide open, lax. I don't want to use the word the, lax. The person that told me this was basically said that you know obviously their guns you know you you it's my understanding. I think I I know in Germany you can't even own a gun at your house. It has to be at the hunting club, so it has to be stay at a, correct at a certain stay somewhere. But but the suppressor is just, it's just a suppressor. So you just. It, and that's what gets me. I know when they started the tax stamps and things like that way back in the. 30s. 30, I think it was 30s. It or was 40s after camp. the um, Al Capone gangsters, mm -hmm. during the Al Capone mm -hmm. gangsters with the uh, like Valentine's Day massacre and stuff like that. And I don't want to tell the ATF to raise the prices or even come up with that. I think we should be getting away from the tax. I don't personally. think that they'll, I don't know. I don't want to say anything. I don't think, I'm not going to put any words in their mouth, but. And it's been around for so long, but the reality of it is, is that it costs you, some money. I think. Well, I don't think it. There's no. I don't think. I don't think. By it. the time you have to go through the ATF, has to go through all those background checks, and we're getting off on a tangent. But um, the the thing I think we should look at, or as people should understand that aren't in the gun industry, is is I think everybody looks at those suppressors or those silencers, and if you have one of those, you're an assassin, right? Isn't yeah. that the kind of the the misconception? That's, if I you're not in the gun industry, right? I I would. I got my SOT because it's like, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to have, mm -hmm. you know, I need to diversify myself. And, so and you have one. to, as in being in the gun industry, that, that market is growing incredibly, incredibly. But all that is is a piece of metal. It doesn't. Yeah, do, it, it doesn't do, do anything at all. And it's not like the movies. No, no. Where people are like, you know, they, they think that you can't even hear it. <laughs> and it's not that at all. It's not even close to that. It's, it's still It loud. still has a sound. Yeah. And that's, you know, I told you. When I go out to the range, I still wear hearing protection. Mm -hmm. If I hunt, I usually won't wear hearing protection. But, you know, it allows you to, 
it has so many benefits. Uh, not only the sound, the recoil, the anticipation, all that. And if you combine all those things, it makes you a more accurate shooter. Mm-hmm. I would agree 100%. Because you're not flinching. And so if you're hunting and you're trying to take down that animal with one shot in the most ethical way possible, why not do it with one shot? One that's accurate where you're not wounding it. And you're trying to accomplish what the objective is when you're hunting and taking down that, that animal. So you put suppressed on it. I've shot uh, white tail. I've shot uh, mule deer now with them. In love. Yeah, we just we just had another shop. Uh, just they just left this last week. We had um, four sixteen Rigby. Um, there's three African dangerous dangerous game guns that were in here, and he wanted them. The barrels threaded, and I mean, we did it, and it's you know, so it's all the way up to. I mean, that, you're talking some big guns. And and as you well know, if you're going to get into suppressors, just make sure you talk to somebody that knows about them. Yes, um, you don't just want to put a suppressor on a gun not knowing. If that's the right caliber, just because you have a uh, 223 or a 556 suppressor and you're going to run it on a 22-250, the compression changes on those. Yep. Uh, make sure you talk to somebody Pressure that's going on those. But, you know, the other thing is, too, I, I just love them. It, it changes the whole aspect of everything you have going on. Yeah, so, absolutely. So we got off on suppressors from threaded barrels. But, we got off on everything. I think. Right. <laughs> it changed it all up. So, um. With regards to Marlin, what's the next gun that they're releasing? And they did – I have it on, on YouTube. I can't remember where it goes. Do you know which one it is? It's not the 336. I mean, uh, after the 336. The 336 is out. Um, and I don't remember what the next one is, honestly. Okay. Um, I again, go to the go to our YouTube channel, and mm-hmm. there's there's uh, videos of that on there. And Ruger and Marlin have their site out as well. So if you go on the Ruger site, they're going to have yep. a link into Marlin as well. Um, unless it's released on their site. Or it's a reputable site. I know everybody has blogs. Everybody has all kinds of information out there. And I'm always amazed when I go into stores and customers be like, hey, what about this? I'm like, I never heard that before. You and, know what gets me with that? These people that will come in and be like, and I don't play video games at all, but they're like, I want to, you know, switch back <laughs> 428. And I'm like, I'm pretty. But but in the in the firearms industry, there's a there are millions of models of guns and brands of guns mm-hmm. and, you know, all this different, you know, stuff. And so there's no possible way, at least I don't think there's no possible way you could know all of them. So then you, of course, you go to Google and, you know, switch back for seven. <laughs> well, what happens is, is you go in and, and what it is, is I'm sure it has something to do with the video game and the firearms and copyright and trademarks or something. And so they'll take a, you know, a scar mm-hmm. and then they'll name it something different. And then you come in and you type it into Google and it's like, oh, well, this gun doesn't necessarily, you know. Maybe that piece that they put on there was a switchback or something like that. And now they're adapting that name to it. Right. Well, what it is, a lot of times it'll say, well, this gun doesn't, doesn't exist in, you know, it's not never been manufactured, but it closely resembles a, and then it'll tell you. So then, then we have to go look. All right. All right. So what you're looking for is this. So then we find it on the computer, you know, pull it up, show them a picture. Yeah, that's it. Like, Mm -hmm. where, where did you come up with that? Oh, so that's the gun I use (laughs) in my video game. Like. All right. So, and that's, that's a good point too. When you say you, people come in and just come up with crazy ideas, um, I'll walk into stores and people tell me you work for Davidson's and they'll ask me a question about everything in the gun industry, like an old gun. And I'm like, Hey, I don't know everything there is. No, oh, about there's no way. Um, and sometimes they get frustrated. I'm like, that, that's not, you know, what I've found is, is that there is absolutely no way. There are some individuals that know an, an immense amount. There are an immense amount. 
but there's no way you can know it all. But what you usually find is somebody that the, the people that are the most knowledgeable, they have an area. So there'll be like a Browning dude mm-hmm. or there'll be a, a lever action dude. Tap into those resources Absolutely. and know those, know where to get the answers. Yep. Uh, I've got and them on speed dial, some of them. There you I'm go. still looking, still taking applications, but. <laughs> and adding on to your phone. On, absolutely. Hey, this guy knows this. Let me put this in there. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got those keywords underneath their name, don't you? Yep. For Absolutely. Yeah. Military. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we mm-hmm. got, there's military guys and. Yep. And lever action and yeah. Because I there's no way you can know it all. No. And no. every time I talk to somebody or, you know, we'll have somebody walk in the shop and you can, you can tell. I mean, and, and I was that guy when I'd walk into a shop, I'd ask the salesperson a question. And I already knew the answer because I wanted to see if, if they, they were what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. They, and if they knew what they were talking about, then I would continue on with it. Start off easy. Right. And then, and it wasn't that I was testing them. I just wanted to know if I was going to waste my time or not because mm-hmm. I don't know everything. I want to know some more. There's some, I do have some questions, but I want to know if what you're telling me is right. And that's what I always tell my staff. Don't ever tell somebody or say something that you don't know to be 100% factual. Right. And if you don't know the information, just tell them that and say, Hey, look, I don't know the answer to that, but there's probably somebody here in the shop that I can come to or I can get, give me just a minute or we'll talk about something because sometimes that customer will be like, oh, okay, here's the answer to that. And I've seen that happen in the shop. More they're times. trying to trick you is what exactly. they're trying well, to do. I don't know if the, if the word's trick, they're testing. Yeah. They're testing the waters is what they're doing. They're That's just wanting to see better phrase. Yeah. They're just wanting to see, are you going to try and sell me something or do you genuinely care about mm-hmm. what I'm asking and the questions and that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Well, We've been sitting here chatting. It doesn't seem like it. we've been chatting for an hour and 25 minutes. Oh, wow. does yeah. not seem like it at all. So that we, probably ought to, we probably ought to wrap this up, but I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on here and, uh, you know, coming into the shop and being on the podcast with us. Um, for uh, all of our listeners out there, if you haven't already, we'd really appreciate it. If you'd like and subscribe to the channel, um, we're out there on, you know, all the places that you listen to all your uh, podcast, YouTube channel or on Instagram. Facebook, Twitter, you name it, we're out there. So it's a great resource. And uh, and how do you stay up with all that? I mean, because you didn't grow up with all that social media. So who takes no, care of that guy from Arkansas? Oh, those people from Arkansas can do that? Yeah. Sometimes I'm, I have to slap him around a little I'm going to get repercussions on that, aren't I? He may. <laughs> I have to tell him all the time to put his shoes back on. <laughs> there you go. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity to come out and chat with you too as well. Yeah, absolutely. But um, until next time, we want to thank all of our listeners out there for tuning into the Powder and String Outfitters podcast. Until next time, thank you.